0: Hi again everybody, I'm Jamie Allison and this is the Big Idea, Big Moves podcast. This is the destination for high performers. We talk to people from different niches, different genres, different backgrounds, all about things that they are doing in their space. Um, and what we do is try to find some actionable items out of that as well, that you could translate into your own lives. And so I know today we're in for a real treat and we're going to be able to have some real actionable items as we get through this interview. Just before we jump into that, if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you know that Impact Magazine is a big supporter of us. If you want a, uh, a resource for fitness, for nutrition, for different health resources, then jump on to www.impactmagazine.ca or check them out on Instagram. We'll make sure that those are posted as well, but uh, uh, definitely worth checking out. Um, the other thing as well is we've talked to lots of people in our different episodes and one of the things that comes out often is the importance of goal setting and being able to intentionally write them down. So what we've done is we've been able to source the full focus planner um, and if you know Michael Hyatt, if you don't, then definitely take a look at some of his work. Um, but we've uh, partnered with him as well. So um, it's a great whole life planner that is available uh, to you. So take a look at our bio on Instagram, you can click through there. and. And there are a whole bunch of different um, uh, planners for different people, different uses, different journals, that kind of thing. So take a look at it and see if uh, it's something that will help you with being able to plan your whole life success goals. Um, And speaking of whole life success goals, um, we have an amazing guest today. Patrick Sweeney is a millionaire entrepreneur. He's a best selling author of Fear is Fuel. He has worked with over 500 global CEOs. Actors, pro athletes, Navy SEALs, and corporations. He's spoken to large conferences. He's keynoted both in person and, and now over the last little while, probably a lot virtually, um, for some of the biggest events out there. He was the founder and CEO of four tech companies and is an angel investor in many, many more. Um, he is a recognized athlete, which we'll talk about as well. He, uh, I know, was second in the Olympic trials in rowing, um, and he is the only person to summit uh, Mount Elbrus, uh, Mount Kilimanjaro, and the Everest Base Camp um, by bicycle, which is, which is pretty cool in itself. So um, the other thing that, that you will hear about him is that he is a cancer survivor. So uh, a lot of cool things to d- uh, jump into, um, but really want to, to thank you for uh, jumping on with us today, Patrick. It's a real pleasure.
1: Oh, Jamie, it's great to be here, and I really appreciate everyone taking the time out of their day to listen in on us.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, you, you hear all of the different things that, that you've done, but I, I found um, uh, when, when I started kind of going into the backstory about you and, and things like that, I did find it really interesting that um, that I think you weren't always that, that person who kind of jumps into <laughs> everything. And, and maybe we can start there. About, tell us a bit about your, your backstory that way that I know really fits into that kind of fear um, piece that you're talking about
1: yeah it it does jamie i had a, an upbringing you know i was um son of a first generation Irish immigrant in a blue collar part of Boston in the suburbs and uh, had an abusive grandfather and uncle um didn't see my my dad much because he was working four different jobs just trying to pay the bills and uh, so it was a it was a really tough but pretty typical a lot of people brought up in you know a similar environment and he had uh you know, my, my dad had uh, everything he could do to, to just support the family. So um, it, was, it was one of those areas where anytime I felt afraid, which was pretty much all the time, uh, that was catalyzed by this event when I was six or seven years old on the TV at dinner one night or just before dinner, saw a plane crash and at, at Logan Airport in Boston and everyone on board died and they were filming right in front of the wreckage and it was horrible. And it, it planted the seed of fear in me. And I just became terrified of everything, especially flying. I mean, I was I couldn't even look at a, an airplane or uh, two weeks after that crash, we were supposed to take our first family trip to get a new puppy. And uh, I threw such a fit at the airport, we got kicked out. And we had to drive 14 hours down to Georgia, <laughs> which I still hear about today. I still like at family events. But um, uh, so, you know, I grew up really with these tremendous fears, but I couldn't tell anyone, I couldn't do anything about it because it was weakness, right? If you ever show fear uh, around, you know, my family or that that area, and and you were just weak, you were a pussy, toughen up and and get over it. And so I was always building this, um, you know, this shell, this kind of armor around me. And, and, you know, first started with athletics. And I thought if I got really good at athletics and, and some endeavor, I'd get respect and I'd get self-confidence. And after that, um, after the Olympics and, and you know years of doing that, I decided to go back to business school because I figured if I made a lot of money, I'd get respect and, and I'd, I'd gain confidence and I'd have courage. So, I set this goal of $40 million by the time I was 40 years old, 40 by 40. And wow. come hell or high water, I was going to do that. And yeah. and then, you know, uh, and, and it was funny because you talk about the, the different startups I had. Um, you know, if I had them now, I'd be a billionaire, right? <laughs> if I had them with the same courage um, that, that I was lacking then, because I can remember in you know, my first startup, I raised uh, over $25 million. And I remember taking the week before the board meeting, and this is how ridiculous fear can drive your decision making, a week before the board meeting, I'd start prepping for that board meeting. So I looked good as a CEO. I put the perfect board book together, show everything in the best light. And, and when you have a board, you should use them to help solve problems, to change strategy, to help you get better. But instead, I was so afraid of, of you know, I had this imposter syndrome. Should I really be a CEO? And, and, you know, was I really found a material that I wanted to look good? And, you know, going back on life and, and looking back at all this stuff, it's, it's ridiculous how much fear drove everything I did. And, and that's why I tell people we make decisions one of two ways. Either out of fear or out of opportunity, and if you make decisions like I was doing, out of fear, it always leads to shame and regret and failure. Make decisions out of
0: opportunity—that's where success, excuse me, success and happiness and growth lie. Yeah, well, and I think a lot of people can can probably relate to even what you're talking about now. There are probably a lot of people that um, um, you know hear what you're saying and are, are thinking, "Wow, that's that's kind of me right now." Um, yeah. you know, I know you talk about in your book and other things about, um, there comes a time where there's a bit of a mind shift, um, around that. And, and for you, you know, what was that? What, it, what is it that, that helped you kind of make, when did the light bulb come on for you that you need to look at it differently? You, you know, it's,
1: it's going to sound messed up, Jamie, but you've probably heard other people, uh, say it as well. It was, it was my death really <laughs> that, that, uh, that did it. So I was um, you know I was working 70 hours a week and I had all this fear and I, I had this constant uh, the, the stress hormone called cortisol just just coursing through my body all the time. and, and I felt that and I, I felt it physically and I didn't know what it was or I didn't recognize it for what it was. and I didn't like the feeling, that feeling that feeling of fear, that feeling of stress, that feeling of anxiety. So the way I was dealing with it is, is having six or seven or eight drinks every night. Uh, I, I literally, in my startups, I had a refrigerator in, right next to my desk full of Guinness. So, so at you know, five or six o'clock, it was normal for all of us to start, you know, start drinking and I'd go to a networking event or venture capital event or charity event and I had five or six more. And so the only way I could deal with it was drinking. And then I'd get home at midnight or one o'clock in the morning I get four or five hours of teeth grinding sleep because I was so stressed out and and had so much alcohol in me and then I'd wake up feeling guilty and have to go to the gym and sweat it out right so this was yeah. my normal routine which is just an incredibly toxic behavior but some of your listeners you know, they may relate to that now and they may say yeah I, you know I drink way more than I should and and I don't get enough sleep and I'm not I'm not balancing my lifestyle and my body very well yeah. I was doing that because it was the only way that I knew or I, I felt like I could deal with the fear. And one morning I woke up and I had this terrible pain in my arm. And, and this could happen to any one of your, your listeners as well. This is yeah. one of the reasons yeah. I wrote the book is to share this story. And, and my arm was red and swollen. And I thought, well, I must have pulled something you know, at the gym, uh, so I'll just do cardio today. So I did cardio and uh, you know, went back to work and it was getting worse during the day. Probably should have gone to the doctor, but like everything else, I was too afraid. I was, I was scared of what he might tell me. And uh, so I woke up the next morning feeling even worse, couldn't really move that well. So finally, the third day, I could barely get out of bed and I didn't have a choice. I, I had to go to the doctor. This was in Reston, Virginia. And uh, and he said, you know, we don't know what's going on, but you've got this staph infection that's taking over your body. Your body's not fighting it because you don't have any immune system. Your your white blood cells are completely gone. And uh, they said, we don't know what's causing it or why it's happening. We're going to send you up to Johns Hopkins, which is the best hospital in the world, and they'll figure it out. Yeah. So I got up to Hopkins. and. Um, they started running some tests and, and, and the doc came in and he said, look, you know, your T cells have gone rogue and they've attacked all your neutrophils, all the other white cells. You have no immune system and this staph infection is taking over your body and there's nothing we can do about it. The intravenous, IV, uh, uh, antibiotics and antiviral, they aren't doing a thing. So, uh, you should probably get your affairs in order and, and say your goodbyes. Wow. And you know, my daughter was a year old. My wife was six months pregnant and she's in the room, you know, going into shock when when we're getting this news. And all I could think, Jamie, at that point was, holy shit, I I completely wasted my entire life. I had so many great opportunities. Um, You know, I was one of the few Americans to ever race the World Cup in rowing. And when I got the news from my coach, I, I should have been thrilled to go to Europe, race the World Cup, have this incredible experience. But instead, I had a panic attack because it meant I had to get on a plane and go to Europe. And and that's all I focused on for the month leading up to it. And then while I was there, I focused on that plane ride home, right? It just, yeah. it, it, you know, it was one of those things. And, and I said to myself, you know, I'm 35 years old, I'm about to die, I completely wasted this this great life that the you know God gave to me to make the most of. If I ever get out of here, I'm going to get over this fear of flying because my daughter deserves to have a daddy who's brave enough to get on a plane and take her to Disney World or take her to uh, Ireland to see her relatives or take her to Paris. And yeah. and so um, so that was the you know the big epiphany when I got out. The good news is I lived. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And so when I got out of the hospital, uh, I started reading everything I could about flying. My immune system was building back up. I could finally go out, and that's when I started taking flying lessons. And uh, wow. after that, you know, my whole life changed. That was the that was
0: the moment. <laughs> wow. And and, uh, I mean, not everybody kind of connect with that right away, but I think right now it probably more than anything else is there's a whole lot of those things happening and probably even more than normal because of things that the world has gone through lately. And, um, you know, I mean, bearing down on that a little bit, there's probably a lot of people who have have started to realize that, there's other things in life, life than what they had thought prior to. Maybe you know, COVID and, and all of those things as well. Have Have you seen that lately? Have more people kind of connected with you just because of what's happened in the world for the last couple of years?
1: You, you know, Jamie, it's um, the 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 messed up part. I I've, you know, i told I was just on um, uh, my friend Mark Devine's podcast two weeks yeah. ago, and I, I, he said, you know, what what have we seen this yeah. past year and these virtual events you've done and, and uh, I, I, I'll give you a, sci- <clears throat> excuse me, a scientific fact. Yeah. When mice are scared, they, they freeze and they wait for the, the threat to leave and, and uh, they don't do anything. When yeah. a leopard's scared, it takes very dramatic, swift and powerful action. Yeah. And so everything that I've seen in the past, call it uh, 12 to 14 months, is you could split the world into mice or leopards. And, and the mice are the ones who are saying, we'll wait for COVID to get over, we'll wait for the elections, we'll wait for our stimulus check. It's things, you know, this will be over soon, we'll just wait it out. And then the leopards are the ones who say, I'm going to change my business. I'm going to try and go virtual. I'm going to invest in uh, you know my my health and my body. I'm going to start changing my workout pattern. I'm going to change my sleeping pattern. And and I think you know the the data as well. There's a a great study that literally 50 percent of the people in the United States have gone deeper into a depression during the last year. And what what the study doesn't show or doesn't necessarily point out is 50 percent of the other half have had a tremendous improvement in their life, even right. despite COVID and, and the use of the folks who are saying, you know, I'm really enjoying having dinner, like your story, Jamie, which I love, right? Yeah. You're you know, having dinner with my kids every day because I'm able to work from home and jump back on a Zoom after dinner. And yeah. so yeah. It's, it really comes down to your decision either being that fear-based one or the opportunity-based one. And if you look at your locus of control or what neuroscientists call agency, the things that you have control over, and putting all your effort, time, and energy into controlling what you can control, your life will be amazing. Because you can't control the the rate of vaccine, or you know what governors requires wearing masks, or what your company is going to do, or what your customers are going to do. But you yeah. can control the way that you respond to it. And the people who are doing that are the leopards. And and that's hopefully what i'm helping people do is is become leopards instead of mice
0: (laughs) yeah i i mean i think that's i think that's very true because there are lots of people you talk to that have have thrived during this time period just because it, it it means looking at things a little differently but um but isn't it always that so uh one thing that you talk about a lot i know in in your book is there's that that point when you come up to a fear whether whatever that is and for you maybe it was i know it was flying for a while but um everybody has something or a few things and there's that feeling just before you either decide you're going to push through it or you retract away from it and um and i know there's there's scientific pieces behind it and everything too can you talk about that because i think everybody's had that feeling both ways that they've either tackled it or they've slunked away from it and and how they feel in both of those instances
1: well if you think about it jamie if you think if i asked you What's the scariest thing you've ever done? What's your answer?
0: Uh, scariest thing I've ever done. Um, you know what? I, I think it was probably, uh, there's a thing in Toronto where there's a CN tower and, yeah. uh, and you can do the walk around it. Um, yeah. I, I'm not really afraid of heights, but it's still pretty high. So I think that was probably <laughs> yeah. one that for me was, uh, it, it was something that I, I think was, was a big stumbling block, but actually now, no, now that I say that it's probably things where it's more personal, where it's like, uh, starting my own business was probably more of a, fear, yeah. to be honest. Okay. So, yeah. so
1: e- either one of those, look, look at both of those. You've got a great HR consulting company. You started that. What was it like once you started it and, and once you got into it, how'd you feel about yourself?
0: Oh, I, I mean, once once you start doing it, it's invigorating. It's uh, You feel like you have more control. It feels like it's your own. Yeah, I, it's a great feeling. And, and same after
1: you did the, the walk around the CN Tower. I imagine. Yeah,
0: absolutely. I did You're it with my dad, so it was that much better. It was kind of like, well, it's this great experience that you'll remember forever. Yeah. Okay,
1: so everyone out there, everyone listening right now, think of the scariest thing that you've ever done. And think about how you felt after it. Right? Because you're, there's a the part of your brain called the amygdala, that's our fear center. And that's the, the primitive early warning system. It's running a 2 million-year-old piece of software. That's the thing that's really messed up. It wasn't designed for today's world. And what it'll tell you to do is one of three things, fight, flight, or freeze. Right? That'll turn you into the, the mouse. And humans are the only mammals, the only creature that has the opportunity to think about how we respond to fear. Everyone else, it's just pre-programmed. We have the ability to decide if we're gonna be the mouse or the leopard. So if you think about the scariest thing you ever did, and you think about how you felt afterwards, the pride, the excitement, the joy, that's because our reward center gives us a little squirt of of these kind of enzymatic ecstasy, right? These happy drugs. And, And when we do things, what we find is, on the other side of our fear, is where all our dreams lie. And now if you go back and I ask you the same question, think about the scariest thing you didn't do. And I don't know if you've got one Jamie or not, but think about something scary where you said, no, 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 I'm not going to do it. And you made up some excuse and, and you ran back to your cave to hide, right? Because that's what the caveman would do when the amygdala activates, they'd flee and go back to the cave. So can you think of something that you didn't do because you were scared? Yeah, I
0: would say this it's probably it. the same thing. It's it, well, it's business on a business opportunity that um, yeah. you know probably everything pointed to you should do it and you don't, and then there's a whole lot of regret and feeling like it was purely because you wouldn't take the leap to do it. So that's it, and and so I'm sure every one of your listeners out there has the exact same feeling. So we
1: got to the edge of that fear. We we got up to our fear, our early warning system, the amygdala. Started going danger, danger! Don't do it! And we listened to it. And when we backed off and we ran to our cave, we don't we don't have caves. Well, you might have kind of a cool man cave or (laughs) she (laughs) should, but we don't have caves anymore. But we do have the couch, and we do have our office, and that's where we go when someone says, "Hey, do you want to go rock climb?" No, you know I can't. I got work to do. I got you know you're doing it because you feel that fear when someone thinks. Well, gosh, I don't want to be all the way up that cliff and do that scary thing. So when we get to the edge of our fear, that early warning system that used to be for danger goes off. In today's world, that's an early warning system for opportunity. When you feel that 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 those butterflies in your stomach, the sweaty palms, the dry mouth, when you start to feel what I call your fear tells, when you think about doing something, then that's now your early warning system for opportunity. And the thing to do immediately is to do some breath work and in the book i talk about the four by fours and we can talk about it at the end if you want but yeah. but breathing immediately will will help break that that connection that the amygdala has what's called an amygdala hijacking it'll break that connection with the nerve system the sympathetic nervous system and help you think rationally and say, okay, where's the opportunity here? So, immediately when you feel those fear tells, what you should do is go through some breathing and then you look, and, and it's easier to go forward because the time you're most scared, the, the peak of our fear is before we do something scary. So, once we're in it, once we start actually doing that thing that's scary, we start to focus on our actions, on what we're doing, on, on being in the moment. The scariest time of anything is right before we do it. So, right before you walked out on the CN Tower when they're buckling up your harness, that's when you're thinking, yourself, Holy shit, that's a long way down there. <laughs> yeah, and absolutely. once you got out there, you're like, Hey, this is really cool. You know, I, I'm getting this. So, if people keep that in mind, then they realize that once they get to the other side of their dreams, and what you're doing neurologically is you're connecting to something called the SGACC, the subgenial anterior cingulate cortex and that's our courage center. So, so you're shutting off the fear center, you're activating the courage center, and then the more you practice doing that, those neurons that fire together will start to wire together,
0: and it becomes easier and easier to be courageous. Now, now Patrick, how do you distinguish between um, there will be times where there there are things that are, are truly a risk versus just fear in your head versus real risk And how do you how, how do you kind of get through that and make sure that um, you're not taking risks that you know is, is, is Not yeah. reasonable risk
1: Jamie it's it's a great distinction But it, it comes down to the fact that you have to be able to shut off that amygdala hijacking mm-hmm. so we've got something called the working memory and you can think of your working memory as being just like a, an iPhone, like a smartphone. You can you can have thousands of applications on this thing, but you can only have one up at any time. And so the when the amygdala hijacks, it takes over the working memory and it puts up fight, flight, or freeze. That's all we're gonna do. We're gonna do a single level decision. Yeah. We're not gonna think about what happens after we flee. We're not gonna think about two steps down the road. So the first thing you have to do in any one of those situations, is be able to clear that working memory stop that amygdala hijacking and then you can decide okay is this a serious threat is this uh, you know do do we have something am i in a really bad neighborhood would it be stupid to put all my savings into bitcoin would you know whatever, whatever the the fear is if you stop the amygdala hijacking that's that's job one then you can start to make second and third level decisions you can think of it as like branches on a tree if I make this decision, these two or three things might happen. If I make that decision afterwards, these three or four things might happen. And you can start to think rationally. And there are some times when, when fear is a, a tremendous help and a, and a gift, but most of the time, 99% of the time, when we feel the fear, it's, it's on one of three aspects. It's physical fear, fear emotional fear, or instinctual fear. And in instinctual fear you a know, great example that everyone knows is sharks. So people are afraid of sharks and I see it in Cape Cod and Nantucket where we go, you know, in the summertime. And it's ridiculous how much fun people are missing out on because they're afraid of sharks. So there's anywhere from 10 to 12 deaths every year in the United States from shark bites. There's millions of people in the water. And yeah. so it's, it's really a ridiculous fear. And they're beautiful animals that dove with sharks and, on Shark Island in uh, South Africa, off of Cape Town. And they're so elegant and so beautiful. And, and yet, you know, people are terrified of them. And that's an irrational, instinctual fear. So those are sort of that, that, that fear triangle, that terror triangle I talked about in the book yeah. is how we can start to think, is, is something rational or is something irrational? But you have to be able to stop the amygdala
0: hijacking first. It almost allows you to be rational, or a little more rational, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, so. One other thing that you talk about in your book that I think a lot of people would be interested in as well is, um, uh, is how you how you bring these, uh, uh, these, uh, this thinking, I guess, to children, um, you know, your, your kids or other, you know, for people that are are hoping that their, their children see this and, and really can kind of fight through some of their fears that they probably have more reason to, uh, to have those fears built up and more ways of having those fears built up right now than even when we were kids so um, you know, what, what are your thoughts around that? How, what's your approach and, and are, is there advice you'd give to people listening to, to how they can kind of attack that with their kids?
1: Yeah, you bet, and, and Jamie, it's, it's, um, it's interesting because I, I had so much demand about finding out how kids' brain develop. I did a whole masterclass uh, during COVID, again, you know, all my live speaking gigs canceled. So I focused on the, the audio book and some of these master classes and got to talk to a lot of the neuroscientists that I worked with on the book about what happens with kids and and when I first found out uh, This one component it dramatically changed the way I raised my kids. So when I first started the neuroscience research seven years ago, I just off the cuff, you know, mentioned that my youngest child at the time, who was seven, uh, he he was You know, really afraid and we get in these shouting matches when we went rock climbing. The other two kids love to go rock climbing. It's my, my passion these days. And, uh, and and he got in, you know, we got in this tremendous shouting match because he would climb up just fine. But when he had to trust the rope and lean back, he'd, he'd flip out. And it starts screaming and I'd start screaming at him, right? The old Irish Catholic upbringing that that I had. Look, if you don't come down, no ice cream for you. I'm going to be taking you again. We're going to leave you here and going back and forth. And so what this neuroscientist told me was when kids are born, their amygdala is nearly fully developed. It's almost 100% developed at birth. So at birth, they have that fight, flight, or freeze response. What they don't have is the prefrontal cortex, and that's our rational brain. That's the adult supervision, as you can think about it. That allows us to make strategy, to do planning uh, goals, and, and look into the future, and look at what happens after each step. Kids don't have that, and they don't really start developing that until close to puberty. It's not fully developed until our early 20s. So when he's up there having that amygdala hijacking, the fight, flight, or freeze response, because that's the only part of his brain that he can access in this situation, I'm back there fighting with him. I'm making it worse, right? Yeah. So, which is what many parents do. So when I found this out, I realized that we have to be a surrogate prefrontal cortex for our kids. So instead of screaming, if you don't come down, you're not getting any ice cream, you're never coming with us again, we'll leave you at home. Instead of doing all these things that's, that's intensifying that reaction, I started to be the prefrontal cortex. And I said, okay, Declan, what happens if you just let go with one hand and you can put it right back on? No, no, I can't, Dad. I'll die. The rope will break. I'm going to – Declan, just try letting go just for a second and see what happens. And he let go and he lets go and nothing happens. I said, okay, Daphne, how about letting go with both hands and seeing if the rope holds? And if it doesn't, you'll be able to grab on real quick. And he does that. And so you're going through the thought process that we as adults, because we've got a prefrontal cortex, can do most of the time. Now, we can't do it all the time. As you've seen, you know, your your 80-year-old grandmother flipping someone off in traffic yeah. <laughs> shows that we, we don't necessarily always have control over that prefrontal cortex, yeah. but you can start to get them thinking that way. And then when they become teenagers, what, what really becomes tricky is they're developing the prefrontal cortex in what's called cold cognition, when there's not any emotion involved, when the amygdala isn't isn't being activated. So you can sit around the dinner table with your 14 or 15-year-old daughter having a great conversation thinking, wow, you know, she's, she's thinking and acting like an adult. But as soon as emotion comes into the play, as soon as, you know, a, boy breaks up with her or she gets an F in, in or doesn't make varsity or whatever, then those emotions come in and she loses that connection. So that's the, that hot cognition, as it's called, when your son or daughter gets emotionally charged, they lose the connection. So as you think about these changes, there are certain things you can do. And, and I'll give you the best tip that uh, I ever gave my kids and that made their life in school so much easier. And that is neurologically and biologically, half the people you meet are going to like you and half the people aren't. And the reason that is, is so that we have a diverse gene pool, right? We're we're trying, the uh, the way we've evolved is such that we want to mate with people who are different from us. So those are the people that we're attracted to. And so knowing when kids just know that other kids are wired not to like them and and they understand that it has nothing to do with them it's not personal it's just the way that their their brains and their biology is wired then they they don't spend their time effort and energy trying to get everyone to like them in in middle school and high school they just realize you know hey that person's just not wired to like me i'm going to focus on my friends who do like me and that's where i'm going to spend my energy and just just knowing that little bit of a fact and sharing that with your kids
0: makes a huge difference uh, I, I would think, especially now, there seems to be so much um, social pressure for that as well and, and considering what's out there. So, um, uh, you know, uh, I think the, the one thing that we do with, with every guest that we have, Patrick, is that we, we try to, to leave the audience with, uh, a couple of actionable things that they can do. And I know today we've, we've talked about lots of them, but, um, but if there's somebody out there who now is, uh, you know, is listening, uh, thinking uh, well, you know, I want to make sure that that I do kind of face my fears a little more, uh, a little more often and, uh, or I know what this fear is and I've got to get myself through it. Um, do you have a, a couple of things that, that people can do right away um, and, and be able to, to kind of move themselves forward in that way?
1: I'll give you three, Jamie. Three quick ones
0: for you. Number one is to
1: scare yourself every day. Now, the reason I say this, people say, oh, you should get over your fears or become fearless or avoid your fears. Complete bullshit. You want to be able to face your fears every day because your body changes tremendously. You become a superhero when you become scared because we produce this, this fear cocktail and it creates especially mentally and physically, it creates the ability to be much stronger and smarter than we are beforehand because all our energy goes into this survival mode. So if you can scare yourself every day, you're doing it, number one, in your own terms. So you, you can do it and you say, okay, I'm gonna make a toast at work. I'm gonna tell a joke on this Zoom call. I'm gonna tell my next door neighbor that, uh, you know I took his, his hedge trimmers last year and I forgot to give them back. <laughs> Whatever it is, it doesn't matter, something that makes you uncomfortable and what you'll start to do is you'll start to create that connection to the Courage Center. And just practicing that will make it easier when you get in a scary situation that you didn't create. So, scare yourself every day, number one. Mm -hmm. When you're scared, breathe. I teach a method in the book called the four by four, breathe in for a count of four, hold it for a count of four, breathe out for a count of four, hold it out for a count of four just doing this for two or three minutes when you wake up in the morning starts to train your body in in that and in what neuroscientists call bottoms up information so when you get in a scary situation your brain starts to take in data from what's called top down that's your eyes your senses your touch your hearing and bottoms up what's going on in your body so if you get in a scary situation you start to do those four by fours that, that literally just doing them for a week and when you wake up in the morning for a couple of minutes will change the cellular structure of your brain in just one week. And, and doing it in a scary situation sends that bottoms up information that you're not under threat. So that stops the amygdala hijacking. That's the second thing. And the third thing, and this is the most challenging, but potentially the most impactful, especially for business people who want to get more creative, who want to break through these barriers, who want to get in a state of flow the thing to do is replace judgment with curiosity. So when you start to catch yourself judging someone because they look different, judging something because it's not the way you would have done it, when you start to catch yourself judging it, say stop and you'll literally activate the other hemisphere in your brain so you're using more brain power and ask yourself, be curious, say what can I find really interesting and admirable about that person? What can I find about the way this this piece of art that i i didn't like initially what can i find amazing about it and when you start to replace judgment with curiosity you're opening up your whole world to to some really big changes so those are my big three
0: yeah oh, that's great i i think number three uh if if everybody did that we'd have a uh, a lot a uh, lot better place to, to live in i think too um yeah. Uh, So, uh, if people are trying to get, I mean, obviously we want to talk about your book. People, if they haven't read it or listened to it, they need to make sure that they do that. But um, how else can people find out more about you and what you do as well, Patrick?
1: Well, Jamie, the first thing I'd suggest people do is go to my website, which is pjsweeney.com, S-W-E-E-N-E-Y and take the fear test. I've got a six minute fear test, it's free. Uh, You go on and it's broken down into nine areas of your life, finance, relationship, uh, emotional, physical, all this stuff. It takes about five minutes to do it and you get a nice little barometer back about where you need to work on some of your fear uh, aspects. So check that out on pjsweeney.com. Instagram, The Fear Guru. LinkedIn, The Fear Guru as well. And Facebook, it's Patrick Sweeney Fear Guru. So you can hit me up on any one of those. And if people have questions or are interested. And of course, the book Fear is Fuel.com is um, on Audible, exclusive on Audible and Amazon. And uh, it's got 10 great guest appearances so we interview someone new and and really interesting in at the end of each chapter and it's usually someone we wrote about in that chapter so there's some really cool uh as you know jamie haven't listened to the book already there's some really
0: cool interviews in there yeah, I, I would I would recommend anybody do that because uh, it is it, it, the content of the book is great, but the the interviews are awesome as well. So um, uh, so if you haven't hit subscribe uh, right now, make sure that you do that on whatever you're listening to or watching on. Um, we have great guests every week, just like Patrick, and and uh, uh, hopefully we'll be able to have you back on again sometime because I know there's so much more we could talk about. But um, thanks for taking the time today, and we'll make sure that all of your links and everything are in the show notes as well. So uh, so definitely definitely uh you know again thanks for for all that you've provided to the audience today Patrick
1: well, Jamie, thank you. I thank the, the audience for tuning in, and I just noticed my uh, my dog walking <laughs> walking by in the background, and he's happy to say that uh, to see that I'm talking to a fellow Canadian. He's the Newfoundland, so uh, oh, I <laughs> he, he appreciates his uh, his fellow countrymen there. <laughs> uh,
0: absolutely, absolutely, always welcome. So uh, again, thank you very much, and uh, thank you for everybody for listening, and uh, we'll talk again on Big Idea, Big Moves.